Hey everybody, welcome back to 10% True. Just before you get stuck into this episode, I wanted to let you know that in 2024, I'm going to be republishing my book, Red Eagle's America's Secret Megs. That's the story of the 4477th Test Evaluation Squadron and the program Constant Peg that exposed American fighter aircrew to secretly acquired and operated MiGs in the Nevada desert in the 1970s and 1980s. The book's been out of print for a while. It goes for crazy prices online, but I'll be republishing as a softback exclusively through my website, 10percenttrue.com. If you're thinking about supporting the channel, you'd like to buy the book for yourself or even as a gift, please do go and place a pre-order. I'll put a link in the description. All pre-orders are going to be 25% off and I'll make sure I personally inscribe and sign your copy for you. Anyway, I'll let you get back on with enjoying this episode. Take care. everybody, welcome back to 10% True. Today's guest is C.W. Lemoyne, better known as Mover. Uh, Mover is a fighter pilot, airline pilot, police officer, medic, martial arts instructor, probably a bunch of other things I don't know about. And understandably, he's a really busy guy. So Mover, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Before I play the video, I just want to say thanks also to the people who have continued to support me, who are subscribing to the channel, liking the videos, leaving comments. Uh, really helps me a lot and I'm really grateful for it. If you're watching this and you like it and you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe. Um, if you have some comments, if you've got any feedback, if there's anything I should be doing more of, if there's anything you want to see, let me know um, and I can make it happen for you. Otherwise, enjoy the video. Appreciate it. So what inspired you to become a pilot? Did you always know you were going to be a fighter pilot? Um, you know, who, who inspired you? What inspired you? No, um, I was a nerd when I was a kid. I mean, pretty much I was playing, um, you know, I took my first commercial flight when I was like, well, that I remember when I was nine and I was hooked on flying from there. My mom had um, private pilot books because she had started it, but never actually finished the program that I would read and study and stuff. And I don't really know if you remember back in the 90s, it was uh, well, airline transport pilot that was the uh, biggest thing and Jane's combat, ATF, ATF gold, ATF fighters, all that stuff. And I used to play that, I mean, all the time, you know, that was kind of what I was doing and you know I'd go out there I'd get the A4 go dogfight with people and you know have a dial-up you know it's so it's so funny that you know back back in my day you know people watch you're like what is dial-up what do you mean yeah you used to have to phone in to actually connect to somebody but um, you know I wanted to be I, I enjoyed that I wanted to do that I was into flying and then the first time I ever did aerobatics I went to the Texas Air Aces out in Conroe Texas my dad got it for me after my mom passed away it was like a birthday present and I got so sick, um, just completely obliterated through the whole the whole thing. And uh, I was like, man, I don't I don't know if I'll be able to do this. And we went back because my they wanted to do it with me and my versus my stepbrother. And I took Dramamine, and you know my mom my stepmom was a nurse and stuff. So I went had a great time, and I'm like, I want to I want to do this as a job. You know, this is awesome. And about that time is when I discovered Top Gun. So you know we talk about the Top Gun, and I was obsessed you know i was like i want to be you know maverick i want to be a fighter pilot it's going to be awesome and then when i turned 16 i started lining things up i was going to go to the air force academy I, you know i was going to go be it because that's really and that's the thing i talk about um on the on the site is that everybody thinks that it's the air force academy is the only way to go to, it's just the common misconception and i had the same thing so um luckily there was a, a senator in the area that was going to give me an appointment you know i had the grades to do it 
And I went to an optometrist one day just for a normal checkup, and she goes, yeah, you're never going to fly professionally, much less uh, you'll be lucky if you fly general aviation. You're not going to be a fighter pilot. You're never going to fly professionally. You know, you've, you've got astigmatism, and, you know, you need glasses. I'm like, well, I'm not going to wear glasses. I don't want to wear glasses. That's stupid. So I gave it up. I was like, well, you know, and that's, it's very common. I see that a lot. You know, people hit the first roadblock and they're like, I'm done. I'm out. You know, somebody said no, because I didn't want to go to the Air Force Academy and not be a pilot because I, you know, I like, well, I don't know what they're going to do with me. I, you know, what, 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 what I even do? I don't have a, a job option. So I turned that down. And then about that time, um, you know, I went to LSU E, which is a two year state university. Uh, while I was waiting for a scholarship to Tulane University and uh, I actually wrecked my car and I was like I was so mad at myself because it was just single car went off into the ditch I was you know hot rod and trying to be fast and you know just felt like an idiot and I was like I need to do something to show that I'm not a dumbass and I went and got I, you know I was working I was working part-time in college and stuff so I saved my money went and got my pilot's license and I started re visiting the idea of being a fighter pilot because my dad was army national guard not a pilot but he was army national guard and he kept saying you know you can go to the air guard you can go to the air guard i'm like yeah but they told me i can't fly well i'll just try it anyway and about that time i discovered baseops.net and this is back when it was baseops.net it wasn't flyingsquadron.com or anything like that so you know i was posted on the boards on the forums and stuff and um one of the guys said hey Here's contact information for the Air National Guard in Louisiana and the Air Force Reserve Unit uh, down in New Orleans, the two units down there. So I, I cold called him. And I called the first guy, you know, his major uh, call signs T-Bear. He's actually been on my channel. And he goes, uh, you're what? And I go, yep, I want to be a fighter pilot. About to be a junior in college. I got a scholarship to Tulane. I want to be a fighter pilot. How do I do this? And he's like, yeah, kid, call me back in two years. Uh, okay. So then I go to the, the Lang, they're like, yeah, come on over, you can meet with the squadron commander. And the guy's like, you need to enlist, you can be a crew chief, and then you can go. And I'm like, well, I, I've got a scholarship. I can't, you know, I can't give that up. I don't, you know, because I thought enlistment, you know, you're full-time and you're doing that. So I went to Tulane and I started the ROTC program as soon as I got there. And then they started with the, well, if you didn't start with ROTC, you know, you're kind of behind the curve because you only have two years left. And it's kind of, and I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to do this you know I, that goes back to the other thing i can't be guaranteed you know what i'm gonna do i was working in the gym one day and the ROTC guy came up to me because i did like maybe four weeks of ROTC before i said never mind and he walks up to me he goes hey you know this major at the 706 at the a10 squadron i go yeah name sounds familiar yeah he wants you to call you i uh, want you to call him he, he wants to offer you a job i'm like offer me a job i'm still a junior this is what are you talking about and so he, I call him and I said, Hey, sir. He's like, Hey, you never call me back. You know, when you called and I told you call back, you never call back. I'm like, well, every time I called, it said you were, you were on vacation. He goes, TDY. I go, yeah, it sounds like vacation. That's sure. And he goes, well, come on by. I got an idea. So I went over there, interviewed, they put me in the simulator and the stupid ass. I, the first thing I do in the sim, like this is with a real fighter pilot. I take off and try to do an aileron roll. Like, Top Gun style crash right into the thing. And I'm like, well, there goes that chance. And they go, look, we've got this student hire job. You'll be a GS3 making, I think it was like $7 an hour. You work in the squadron. Uh, we'll, we'll employ you. We can fire you at will. If we like you, we'll send you to pilot training. And if we don't like you, at least you got some civil service time under your belt. You know, what do you say? And I'm like, dude, this is, it's more than I'm making at the gym. So I kept both jobs because the gym had, you know, yoga pants. 
and the other thing, you know, was fire. So it was like it's best of both worlds. And uh, Katrina happened about a, about two years later, and I had actually just gotten hired by Lockheed Martin to to work on their SEM program as while I was waiting for stuff. And they used to like, nope, we're, we said we were going to send you to pilot training. We're going to send you to pilot training. And I originally was going to go the A10 pipeline. So we knew BRAC had happened, the base realignment and closure. We knew the squadron was going away. But uh, they said, we're going to pick you up anyway, send you to pilot training, and you'll go to Barksdale after you get seasoned. It'll be fine. No big deal. You'll stay in Louisiana. And then Katrina happened, and the wing commander said, I'm never bringing A-10s back to this place again. It's, I don't want to deal with this. You know, everything's destroyed. We don't know what's going to happen. So um, they sent me to officer training school, and I was in OTS. Standing at attention, calling units, going, "Hey, uh, OT Lemoyne, would like a job, please, sir." And uh, I was trying to go to Carswell, but they just picked up the uh, group commander, you know, the son, and they didn't have any spots. And so I went down to Homestead, interviewed, got the job. So I went to pilot training, knowing I was going to fly F-16s uh, from that day. But uh, going back to the vision thing, they actually did when I went to medical. They grabbed me and said uh, I couldn't pass the, the depth perception stuff and one of those pilots took me back to medical and actually helped me learn how to pass the damn test so I got through the the depth perception because it's you know here's the hint it's never the outside circles it's always the middle and uh, go to maps pass that go to uh, Brooks which is now right pad and I pass I'm 2012 I'm, I'm nailing it you know everything's good and then I get to the uh, the last part. He goes, "Hey, we did a retinal topog topography on you, and guess what? You're outside of the limits. You're going to need a waiver. Um, sorry, but unit put the waiver in. Everything worked out. You know, about six weeks later, it was approved, and then uh, ended up going officer training school. So went to pilot training, had a great time, best people I've ever met. Um, and then from there, it's been you know F-16. I did four years uh, at the Makos, and then uh, wanted to come back home." and decided I needed to be back in Louisiana. My dad had prostate cancer at the time. And um, so I ended up going to uh, Barksdale again and they hired me. And then as I was doing the paperwork, my wing commander came up to me and said, hey, uh, you're still going to Barksdale? Yes, sir. You might want to rethink that. They're closing. I'm like, son of a, God, I can't, why? I can't fly the A-10. I'm just chasing this around. So my buddy, on a, I was across country with a young you know, lieutenant actually he's a fape uh, we're in clean vipers and we're going into buckley and they they come over the radio they're like hey you ready to divert i'm like why are we diverting the runway's open no an f f18 just closed shut down the runway and it's it uh, you got to divert i'm like yeah can we wait yeah sure so we waited till we were almost you know completely out of gas they said yep it's open we we dive in there and as we're shutting down, I get out, I see this Hornet being towed in and it says VFA 204 on the side and the, both tires are blown and I'm like, God, this thing looks pitiful. So I take a picture and text it to a buddy of mine who had flown A-10s after they closed, he went over there and I was like, hey, you know this guy? And I hear from behind me, hey, so what if it is? And I look back, I'm like, shit, it's you. Holy crap. So he took me to dinner that night to apologize for making us almost divert and then, uh, he told me, he's like, dude, I can get you in this squadron. It's the best deal ever. We do BFM. We do red air. Uh, you know, it's air to air only. And we do close air support every now and then. It's a good deal. You'll have fun. So I inter service transferred to the Navy Reserve. And then um, I did that for several years. Probably the worst time. I don't want to get too down on this, but it was probably, it ended up being probably some of the darkest times of my life because about 
I got there in 2012, so a year after I showed up, my dad passed away uh, for unrelated stuff. He actually had back surgery that didn't, you know, in, re in recovery didn't go well, and it was a downhill spiral for me. Mm. Um, just didn't go well in the squadron, and um, as a result of that, a year later, and or two years later, in 2015, I was diagnosed with kidney disease, and the uh, squadron. Uh, at the time was not, you know, part of the mover fan club, the, the skipper there, uh, just because, you know, things had not been going well. And uh, they said, look, dude, you know, you're non-deployable. So NAMI, I was grounded for seven months and NAMI said, yep, you're good to go. But Bupur said, uh, the personnel side said, no, that's non-deployable. We'll give you a, a, a personnel categorization, whatever, code uh, of non-deployable so you can't stay in this unit so i ended up uh, going elsewhere and stuff so uh, i left there spent two years non-flying and, and went to the airlines and then i uh, got picked up here at uh, the t-38s where i'm currently flying t-38a's for the uh the 301st which is attached to the tufus which of course i show up there and a hurricane wipes out tyndall and uh <laughs> so so the hurricane wiped them out and now we don't know what's going to happen i don't have a plan for the future we we could go you know anywhere from you know we we stay open and we stay at eglin to hey they shut the doors we don't, really don't know at this point so i don't the answer to your what happens next question is no idea okay Long answer to your short question. That's uh, okay. No, it's, it's good. It's, it's a good. It's a good bio. So, so going going right back to to UPT then, and yeah. that experience. I, I think it's fairly well documented how it works. And again, you you talk a lot about yeah. it in, in your video, so we we don't have to go through that now. But I, I was curious to know which parts of it you you found most challenging, and and how you dealt with those things. Uh, pilot training. I you know I. I really enjoyed pilot training in general. I did really well um, because I had flying experience from before and I had the A-10 sim time, you know, where guys brought me into the sim and kind of showed me some instrument cross-check stuff. I did really well in undergraduate pilot training. Where I struggled was going from pilot training to what's called Intro to Fighter Fundamentals, IFF, which I think you had a guest previously that used to instruct at IFF. That, uh, less so because it was challenging flying, but because it's a mind game. And I didn't do well with that because at the time, everybody thought IFF was a washout program, and so, or at least I did. And so you, you psych yourself up into thinking that you're next. You know, even though I had gone through pilot training, I graduated number one in pilot training. I, you know, I never busted a ride. I never, never got anything less than like an excellent on a ride. I did really well. And then I go to IFF and I'm like, I'm going to wash out. No basis whatsoever for that, but I convinced myself because I had heard other people had washed out that I was going to wash out. And I hooked my first ride in IFF for something stupid. Um, and then I hooked another ride and then I was like, okay, I've hooked two rides, you know, I think was it three where they start to do paperwork on you. And I was like, oh my God, you know, and I'm, I'm, I need to go find another job, you know? So it was less about the flying being hard, more about just, man, it, I just worked myself up for no reason. Um, but you know, I, I think that is, it's common, less so now. I think people have kind of figured out that IFF is not that, that what it used to be because, you know, you used to hear the stories and, and it goes back to base ops was both a help and a hindrance because base ops is where I was reading all the stories of people washing out. You know, that's where I was hearing all this stuff. But it was definitely um, a challenge just to get through it. And then once I got through it and went to the F-16, I absolutely, you know, love that training and love that airplane. But um, you know, I, 
UPT in general is a cooperate to graduate exercise. You know, once you, if you can help, I always tell people, if you can help others learn the stuff and go to the SEMS and practice and stuff, that's where you do really well because then you know the material, you know, cold. Uh, one of the probably most challenging sorties I had in UPT wasn't because of the syllabus, it was because I was on a formation takeoff solo and no kidding, uh, took a bird down the engine uh, at rotation and fought it out the, the number two engine. And no kidding, you know, the stuff they talk about, you know, single engine takeoff speed, all the different things that'll kill you in a T-38 all happened all at the same time with me as the student with, you know, 50 hours in the airplane trying to figure it out. So it was definitely one of those, hey, it, it reinforced everything that they had, they had given us because at that point it was all muscle memory, it was all instinctive, it was just, you know, I've got the HUD tape on my, on the channel because people, in fact, because I, I used to write for Fighter Sweep and you know, I talked about it, but it was, it just, it ended up time compressed. I thought I had done things, you know, I thought I was like, well, I must have ripped the throttle to idle, you know, I didn't, everything happened so quickly that I didn't even remember what I did because of the compression stuff. But then when I went back, I'm like, nope, looks like I'm, you know, throttles, throttles max, you know, so. Um, the training is really good and, and they, they really drive all that home. So it's, you know, it's very structured. From a flying point of view, then you go to the B course after UPT. Um, what is the, you know, just from a stick and rudder point of view, what's the difference or how does it feel like to go from a T-38 to an F-16? Ooh, uh, it'll hurt you. It'll hurt you. You know, the, it's funny though. It's not. So I remember in IFF, you know, we're doing high aspect BFM, which is, you know, beak to beak, we're neutral at the merge. And, um, which I know you know that, I'm just for the viewers and all. Um, I remember not having a freaking clue what was going on, you know, because it was just, it was demo only. And you're like, I see a T-38 somewhere over there. It's a dot. I don't know what's going on. I'm just pulling. So I don't over G. I don't want to bust this ride. And then you go to the F-16 and it'll put nine Gs. It'll hurt you. You know, the... The biggest thing about that airplane was not, because we didn't have the A tags or what are the F tags now, whatever the new G suit is. We didn't have any of that stuff. All we had, or F tags, all we had was the old school G suit and, you know, you'd pull till you couldn't see anymore, then you'd let off a little bit, then you'd pull till you couldn't see anymore, you know. And uh, it, it, it was a, an airplane that, that made you cognizant of the fact that it could kill you at any moment, but it had so much power and you could power your way out of stuff, you know. it was. It, that is where things start to kind of come together when you're learning dogfighting. But even then, it's so basic at the B course level that you're really just getting through it. You don't really start to understand it until you get out. And, you know, like I had one month as a lieutenant, I flew BFM 27 times. That's when I started to learn, hey, okay, this is what this sight picture means. This is what this sight picture means. But while I was at the B course, you know, we talk about G's. Um, I was there in 2008 when uh, David Jenks Mitchell uh, passed away. He G-locked. He G-locked and I was off the flying schedule that day doing a snacker run and you know we found out that you know he was doing high aspect BFM G-locked and you know hit the he hit the ground and that really not one it brought our class super close together but two it just reinforced that this is not a game you know this is life and death people this, there's real consequences to not you know g-straining to not being on your on top of the procedures you know there's things happen so fast that it definitely drove that point home is that still a, a, a teachable technique then to pull till you black out and then release or, or no or let, 
No, no, that, that's more of a joke. Uh, you know, you, okay. uh, the, the 9K, the 9K entry, most Viper guys are like, yeah, Pulte, you can't see any more than let off. But now with the A-Tags, I mean, you know, I've, I've never flown with the A-Tags, but guys I've talked to are like, yeah, nope, it's, you know, it, it basically is with the G-strain and stuff, you're, you know, you have no problems whatsoever. Um, it's definitely, you're definitely not, I would never tell a student to do that, even with the old G-suit. That's more of a joke slash technique uh a joke technique joke neek we'll call it that okay. we'll call that the 10 percent truth okay uh, so i was going to ask you later but i'll ask you now anyway um what does having a g limiter an angle of attack limiter do for you or do to you as a pilot so you're coming from the t38 where energy management's really critical you yeah. can't power yourself uh, your way out of situations as, as you just described you can with the f-16 does it make you a lazy pilot? Does it make you a better pilot? Does it free you no. up to think about other things? What's it doing for you? Uh, I mean, so the F-16, it's really a good comparison of the F-16 versus the Hornet because the Hornet doesn't have the AOA limitations that the F-16 does. You know, the F-16 would park um, with, it, with the AOA limiter. And so if you just let off a little bit, so if you were right at the limiter, you let off a little bit, you would get all the energy back. So that does, you know, having excess power does kind of, I don't know. I'm not going to say it gives you bad habit patterns, but it definitely doesn't require the finesse that flying a Hornet does. Where a Hornet, you know, if you honk back on the stick, it'll give you everything you ask for, but then you're stuck. I mean, you know, it's like we talk about the air show stuff with the Cobra. Like, okay, that's great, but then what? You know, what happens? What's your follow on move? Because you've just cashed everything in. You've got no follow on BFM maneuvers. You're just kind of a, a duck. And the, the F 16. You know, the G limiter, uh, you know, I've pulled 9.8 Gs, so it'll overshoot like a big dog, especially if you go too fast. Uh, you know, when I over G'd, uh, I'd just come back from, from a deployment where we have bombs and two tanks and targeting pod. You just get that mental, that, that internal clock that, hey, you know, I need to go in the afterburner because I'm slow. Well, I did that in a clean jet, so I ended up supersonic at the merge, pulling the limiter, and it will go right through it, you know, 9 point whatever Gs. And you're just sitting there going, this hurts, this, this hurts, this sucks. I shouldn't have done this, you know, but um, it just changes your, your tactics, you know, your, your techniques and kind of how you, how you approach different things. It's nice to be able to power your way out of stuff, um, you know, versus the Hornet. You know, if you could combine the two where you had the power thrust away to the Viper with, you know, the AOA of the, the Hornet, you'd have the perfect, perfect aircraft because, you know, they're two very good fighters in very different ways. So you go to the B course, and, and of course the other thing I, I, I would imagine that you're starting to do at the B course is, um, you know, you're, you're managing sensors, you're developing situational awareness. I wondered if you could talk about that process a little bit. Um, you know, you know how, how you go from an aeroplane that T thirty eight had nothing, presumably yeah. other than, than maybe a HUD. I don't know if you flew the C yeah, model. Yeah, I flew the C model. model. Okay, so, so, but but now you've got sensors, you've got a radar, you've got a raw. You're starting to build a mental picture as to what's happening in the airspace around you. Um, situational awareness. What is it? How does it work? You really don't in the B core. So that's it's funny because you know I go I look back at my first like large force exercise where it's just hundreds of planes or not hundreds, dozens of planes. You know we've got you know it was a, a eight feet, whatever, where strikers and going in and bombing the target. And I remember I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was don't go blind because we didn't have data link. We didn't have anything. It was stay visual. If you can lock something up, great. Drop the bomb when you're supposed to go home. Like that was the biggest thing. And it's not until, you know, you're in your, your calf squadron that you're, you're kind of 
moving out of that shell because you know at first it's just you know you're hunkered down you just you just want to get through it and then you know as you it's it's all experience you know as you get experience your SA bubble just starts to expand it starts to expand and eventually you start the flight lead upgrade and you start the flight lead upgrade you still kind of have an idea but you really have no idea what's going on and it's not until you're they put you at the pointy end of the spear and now you're leading it that you start to build that situational awareness and start to get a little bit better at it so i think it's a you know you, you really you start out with this very small essay bubble and then it just it grows with experience and there's really nothing you know the b course is there to get you safely from you're a t-38 pilot from pilot training to you're a mission ready wingman fighter pilot so you can go to your unit and they're going to refine those skills so you're still that mold of clay you're not necessarily uh you know you're not the work of art just yet until you get get farther into it and stuff like that and then you start to build your essay bubble you start to figure it out and it's just repetition and doing it over again and, and and figuring it out and then they add more sensors you know you get to your calf squadron and now you've got more sensors to deal with more stuff and more weapons and you know it's just all about studying the biggest thing is is showing up to where you understand how the system works because studying a book is free you know, going to the going to the vault, knowing all the systems, so that when you're in the jet, your mind's not thinking, okay, well, what does this do again? It's more, okay, now I've got brain bites to look and to think about what's going on in the outside world. Uh, but honestly, you know, you talk about T-38, it requires more situational awareness now to fly a T-38 with nothing than it did to fly an F-16 with everything. And it's just, I mean, because you don't, you're, you're, you're listening, you know, it's all about what you see and you're listening and you're building the picture in your mind and you're, you're, you're figuring out what's going on versus, you know, if you had a data link and you had a radar and you had situational awareness, I used to fly red air in the F-18 and it had just a radar and no, uh, so it's kind of the progression of my career has gone backwards. I've gone from having a data link and when we do red air it was the easiest thing you'd ever do. And then I went to 204, and they were like, yep, we don't have a data link. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. i got to stay visual now. That sucks. And you had a radar, though. And then I went to the T-38, and now I have nothing. And I don't even have a HUD. And I'm like, oh, this. I, I thought for sure it would be a helmet fire every time you go out there. But eventually, it's just one of those things you get used to. And, you know, with experience, you build that mental picture.